we have lost something in our, our world today because we do treat this like a spectator. And, and look, I mean, wh- why wouldn't we? Like, I'm here, you're all there, and you're all watching me. And it's like, uh, in the, the old, in the Jewish world, in the time of Jesus, the synagogue, the, the person who was speaking was in the center of the room because they came together to gather around the text. And so the person that maybe read the text that day and then sat down and interpreted the text for everybody, there were there was dialogue that happened. There was interaction that happened. And you, when you think about the command in Deuteronomy to to for parents, talk about the, the, the Torah with your kids when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up. Show them how to do it. Don't just bring them to Sunday school so they learn all the facts. And show them how that applies when you're laying down. Show them how that applies when you're walking on the way. Show them how it applies because you're making disciples of your kids. And that's where we're going to go here in just a little bit, but we're not there yet. Um, there's two things I want to I talk about because when something keeps getting repeated from Sunday morning prayer all the way through the service, I just want to uh, highlight or touch on a couple things. One... This idea that Jesus is already one. Uh, I feel like we started the service with that. It kept going. And I know some of you might be like, well, I know Jesus is already one, but it doesn't look like it. Um, and I know there's coming a day where complete victory will happen. Jesus will reign on the earth. I get it. But um, sometimes I think to walk in victory, we wouldn't have any opposition. And I don't know that that's what God intended for the earth. Let me let me explain it to you this way. So the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden, God called the earth good. He didn't say it was perfect. He said it was good. Okay, perfect would be, I don't have to say no to anything. Perfect would have been no tree of knowledge and good and evil, right? I mean, perfect would be, there's no opposition whatsoever. But good is, God is at work. I can trust what God said. So even though there's a tree that looks good to me, I'm not going to eat it because it's not good, because God said it's not good, and I trust Him. And it's overcoming the opposition in God's world. So the world wasn't created without opposition, if you will. The opposition is actually helpful for us. So when you think you're not getting victory because you're walking in opposition to something, oh, no, 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 no victory's already there. The opposition is actually just helping you grow through the victory. That make sense? All right, I hope that makes sense. Okay, so then the other part, man, we, we've been on this journey. If you want to throw up the, the slide for the journey. So, man, we've been hitting on this a lot. Um, and it's all through my message today. Thaddeus hit on it again this morning. The journey of a thousand steps begins with w- one, one step. The journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And we talked about prayer last week, and you got to grow in prayer. And that doesn't mean start praying an hour a day. It means pray more t- this week than you did last week. Uh, being engaged in what God is doing in our world. What's the next step God wants you to take in that? And so in whether it's in a worship service or whether it's in ministry here in the building or whether it's in the community, what is the step God is asking you to take? Because we're on a journey. And as a, as Western Christians, we tend to like destinations. And we're like, oh, I, I want God to do great things in my life. And God's like, I'm going to do great things in your life, but you've got to start walking towards the great thing I'm about to do. And sometimes the step doesn't look like I'm walking towards something. Sometimes the steps he's, he's asking me to take is to um, surrender my life more. Or he's trying to get me to humble myself more and maybe stop like... Uh, mouthing off to people all the time or maybe always trying to voice my opinions and maybe it's learning to listen. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with the destination I want to go with. Uh, Yeah, it does. Because the character you need in that destination, the character you need when God does that great thing that He promised in your life, you have to get that character. And God does not impart character. He puts us in places where our character can be grown. And sometimes when our character shows itself, uh, we're like, oh, no, I, I only acted that way because that, that person made me do that. Or I only acted that way because I was really hot. I mean, I did that this week because it's hot. And the one thing I hate is hot. Man, I can be cold galore. But when, you, when it's hot, there's just not much you can do. And so at cross-country practice one day, I was a little crabby this week. And I said, you know, I apologize. I'm only crabby because I'm hot. False. I'm only crabby because my character isn't strong enough to overcome the hot. But I need to get better. 
And it doesn't mean that I'm a terrible person. It just means I need to grow. And if I don't acknowledge the character flaw that needs to be grown, it won't grow. So as long as I keep blaming the heat, the character will stay where it is. And so we want to take this next step. And we're going to talk today about um, what it is to be a disciple. What is it to be a disciple? And one of the things at the end, I'm going to ask you to just take a few minutes and let the Holy Spirit tell you what the next step is. We've been in the journey book. Uh, we've been going through the different parts. Today we're on part seven. If you don't have a copy of the book, um, there are copies on the table in the back. And uh, you can grab one after service. If you've got it, you can grab it, get it out. We're actually going to talk about a lot that's in this one. We, we've kind of supplemented most of the weeks. But in this week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about what's actually in your booklet today. But we're going to start with Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And that's what it starts with right there in your book. If you've got a book, you can use it. If you don't, you can uh, put it on. Uh, it's on the screen. I'll, my brain will catch up eventually. So it's probably the heat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. As you go, as you go, make disciples of all nations immersing them in the reality of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You may not recognize that translation. That's because I made it. Um, there, there are times that uh, I, I don't understand scholars. When you understand what Hebrew and Greek words mean, uh, why they translate certain ways, and sometimes one translation will translate a word this way and one will do it another way, and I'll tell you why I did it this way. One, because most translations will start this with the word go. And you've probably heard multiple sermons, mission sermons about go, go, go. But I will tell you the word go is not a command. So translating it as go is, is, is incorrect. Because go implies something you're supposed to do. When you translate it as you go, here's the, here's the reality. Every person is going to as you go this week. Because at the end of this service, I'm going to say, you're dismissed and you're going to go. And as you go, the command is make disciples. That's the command. And when we, when we miss that, not make converts, not get people to say the sinner's prayer. Not get people to come to church. Make disciples. So for parents, we already touched on this. Your call is to make disciples of your children. It's not the Christian school's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It is your responsibility to make disciples of your kids. Now, it's great to have Christian schools. And it's great to have Sunday school classes and, and children's church classes to help you and assist you in that. But the role for making your kids disciples is you. You make disciples. My job as the pastor is not to make disciples of every person. My job is to help disciple you so that you can disciple others. You, it's not about you bringing more people to me so I can disciple them. It's about me discipling you so you can disciple them. We're going to talk about what that looks like. And then the, I, I changed the word baptism because literally the word baptize means to immerse. So immerse in water. And I changed the in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into the reality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you immerse them in water because Jesus said there's a symbolic thing that happens at baptism. So you immerse in water and you, by doing that, are immersed in the reality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who are present with you everywhere you go. Because you are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you surrender your life to Christ, when you yield to Him, when you say that sinner's prayer or however you want to describe it, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are immersed in the reality of that. And then Jesus says, and now I want you to go and I want you to teach these other disciples that you're making to observe everything I've taught you. Because in reality, this is what a disciple is. A rabbi in this day would teach and train his disciples with the understanding that they themselves would then teach others what they had heard from their rabbi. It was a multiplication concept. And if we don't understand disciple, we won't know what to do. And so for the next several weeks in the book, we're actually going to continue to talk about this idea of discipleship and what it is. Because in our Western world today, for us, discipleship has become about uh, information. 
It's about Christian education. It's about Sunday school. It's about small groups. It's about the transfer of data. It's about preaching sermons so you get more insight and knowledge. And that's not discipleship. That's a part of discipleship, but it's not discipleship in and of itself. Discipleship is more than that. If your small group starts taking field trips, you're a little bit closer to what it means to be a disciple. It's not about sitting in a room and even just talking about principles. That's a part of discipleship. It's the as you go. If you want to make a disciple, that person has to like do life with you. Like you have to interact outside of this room to make disciples. Because we have to flesh out what the gospel is. The gospel is not just a, a list of rules that we have to keep. It's not just a, a list of principles that we have to keep. It's how we live. And the reason that Jesus used this phrase, follow me, because he wanted his disciples to do that, to be with him, to go with him. He, yeah, he was going to teach them things about the, the Torah, but he was actually going to show them and model for them what it was like. So that's why he used the phrase. The, the title of the sermon is simply that, follow me. Because I believe Jesus is still using that phrase today for us, follow me. But what did it mean for them to follow Jesus? Because if we don't know what it meant for them, I don't know that we can apply what it means for us. And so when you, when you step back into the world of Jesus, okay, a few weeks ago when we talked about the scripture, uh, we talked about the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus would have had, what we refer to as our Old Testament or the First Testament, but the books are in a little bit different order than ours, but they're all the same books. And so I put the slide back uh, on the, uh, the screen today for you to refer to as we talk about it, but the, the books of the, the Torah that we have, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they were, uh, they're many times translated as law. Uh, I think it's a terrible translation. Lots of scholars will agree with that because the word Torah means instruction and teaching. Now, yes, there are 613 commands contained in the Torah, but there are also instructions given in the Torah that are not commands. And so the books of Moses or the Torah, the Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it, those first five books are foundational for the Jewish faith. They're also, I believe, foundational for us. Everything flows out of Torah. Everything. I'm going to show you. This is foundational for them. So when we move from the Torah to the prophets, the, the idea that the instruction that God has given through Moses and even through speaking directly with the people in the Torah, the instruction that he's given is how to be a kingdom of priests on the earth putting God on display. How to be human, if you will. What does it mean to be a human representative of God on the earth? The 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 fleshing that out is what we have in the prophets. So the Torah told us how to do it. The prophets showed us how people did. And it actually is a record of it. And it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you will, because some of it didn't go very well. We call these books of history, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. Those aren't history for, for the Jewish person. Those are books of the, the, the prophets because this is how you lived out the Torah. Okay? It's just a reflection of the instruction that God has given. And so the, the former prophets show us the record of it. The later prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, those prophets begin to correct the people where they're wrong. And how, what do they correct them based off of? The Torah. All of the prophets point back to the first five books of the Bible. Man, so this idea that we, well, we don't need to understand the first five books of the Bible, false. You cannot fully understand what Jesus did without understanding the first five books of the Bible. Because everything is built on those. And so it, the, the prophets begin to tell them uh, what they did wrong, so they repent and turn back. They document the exile and what is happening because the Torah said, if you disobey God, if you walk away from Him, you're going to go into exile, but I'm going to bring you back. It's all been prophesied. It's all contained in the Torah. Then they have the books of writings. And the books of writings, uh, I would call reflections, if you will. So they're just reflecting on the nature of God that's contained again in the Torah. So the reflections would be the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job and Ruth. And then the 
coming back out of exile, the Ezra-Nehemiah books, and also the book of Chronicles, which was written by Ezra coming out of exile. And the book of Chronicles was a kind of a like, what did we learn about our past while in exile? That's what the book of Chronicles is. While they were in exile, they realized they had neglected the Torah. They neglected the instruction of God. They were not faithful to it. They did not keep the covenant with God. They, they walked away from it. And as a result of that, they went into exile. So in exile, they're like, hey, when we go back, let's do this right. Let's remember the law. Let's remember the Torah. Let's keep it. Let's walk it out. Let's make sure we teach it to our kids. Let's do everything we can to remember it and live it out so that we never have to go into exile again. The problem is when they come back, they're always under uh, an occupation. They're never just a sovereign nation again. And so books like Daniel were written up uh, apocalyptic books. Uh, later, John gives us a book about the Roman Empire. How do we live in the, the under the, the the rule of the Roman Empire as believers? And so, what they're being taught is how do you live out the kingdom of God when you're under the rule of a political empire? Because sometimes we think, well, we can't live out the kingdom of God if we're under a pagan rule. False. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did a great job of it, but they did it through something called submissive subversion. Submissive subversion. We tend to be more like the zealots. We want to cut people's ears off. Jesus isn't about cutting off people's ears. He's about introducing a new way. And the new way that Jesus is introducing is a servant way. A, a way of self-denial. A way of laying your life down. So Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels. And what does he do? He fulfills Torah. That's what he says. He fulfills it. That doesn't... That doesn't mean he did everything. Um, sometimes we look at that and we think that all of the, the Torah and the Old Testament was written to show us that Jesus was going to come. All of the Torah was written to show us how to be human. Jesus came showing us how to be human. And as a result, he did everything that was written in the Torah and the prophets. So it wasn't written about Jesus. God in his foreknowledge knew Jesus would come and Jesus fulfilled it all and it all points to Jesus. But it points to Jesus because he was the perfect example of how to live as a human being on the earth as a priest of God. And he did not come waving a sword. He came laying his life down. And if you want to demonstrate what it is to live in the kingdom of God, you have to be willing to lay your life down. You have to be willing to serve. You have to be willing to follow Jesus. And unfortunately, in, our, in the Christian world today, there aren't a lot of us that are willing to lay our lives down, to really be inconvenienced or to, to have to suffer or sacrifice. I mean, we tend to love our American uh, rights more than we love the, the, the kingdom values that Jesus portrayed that says, no, be willing to suffer and be willing to lay your life down. Because if you bleed, you will actually break demonic strongholds. When you suffer, you, when, you, when you return evil for good, you actually demolish demonic strongholds in your area and you're actually going to be able to win victories. We try to win victories by convincing everybody. We haven't done the battle in heavenly places by prayer, by fasting, by laying our lives down, by doing those things. And we wonder why the more we try to like convince people, the less they're willing to be convinced. They've been blinded by the God of this age. They're not going to be convinced through just reason and argument. They're going to be convinced when we as people learn what it is to demonstrate kingdom reality in front of them by doing what Jesus did. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Peter says, be willing to follow in his steps. And so we've talked about this for, for weeks, for months, and uh, hopefully that was a review for some of you. Um, there are resources out there you can use. The Bible Project gives us resources. The, the Bema podcast that we talked about and other podcasts you can use. We have tons of resources in our library. Look at this stack right here. This is just a sampling of all the great books that we have in the library that you can check out. Because here's the thing. We want to be good students of this book this collection of books. And if all we do is just read it in our English translation, we're not going to get the most out of it. We're going to get something out of it, but sometimes we go to other sources to try to help us understand what it meant to those people so we know how to apply it to these people. Because why, why does this matter? 
Because a lot of times when we take, we take our English translations and we just cut a verse out here and a verse out there and we use it in, as a weapon against someone in a way that it was never intended to be used. And there are a lot of people today wielding this like a sword, cutting people up, and it's not how it's supposed to be used. Sometimes people get disillusioned because they, they again, just cut a verse out and they just, well, I want this verse to, this is my life verse, I want to apply it to my life. But it doesn't work out. And so then they give up on God. Well, God, you're not true to your word. Well, he is true to his word, but you actually have to know his word and make sure that you're not just misusing his word and asking him to act in a way that's actually out of his character to make your life the perfect version that you want it to be. God is good, but he's not a, a genie in a bottle type of guy. And that's what we tend to make him when we just cut up the, the scripture. And so it's important that we continue to grow and learn and understand. And some of the things that maybe we thought were true maybe come out to be not so true. Why is that? Because over the last 50 years, think about this, 50 years, there has been more archaeological discovery more research done, more, we have learned more about past civilizations than at any point from the time of Jesus up until that point 50 years ago. Like we have, we've gained so much more, so we understand. So if you use the YouVersion Bible app and you're reading along and you're like, oh, I'm about to come to my favorite verse, and all of a sudden your favorite verse is different, and you're like, why did they change it? Well, they changed it because we learned stuff. It doesn't change a lot of the truth or doctrine. It doesn't change everything. And there are some people in our world that are trying to change everything. It doesn't change everything. But it does give us a lot more clarity. And the thing that it changes most is it calls us to a greater level of surrender than we've done before. Of a greater level of loving our neighbor than we've done before. That's the stuff that's changing the most if you will. And so, when Jesus says, follow me, he says, follow me, what's he saying? Remember, they're coming back out of exile. They're talking about what did we learn while we were in exile. They don't want to forsake the Torah again. They don't want to walk away from the instructions of God. They're, they're learning to live it out. So they develop this thing called synagogue. And in the synagogue, every week they come together, they gather around the text, and every week they read a portion of the Torah and a portion of the prophets and a portion of the writings, and they discuss it together, and they walk it out throughout the week. They, they begin to do that. They send their kids to the school that is happening, where for the first four years, starting around the age of five or six, they spend four years in a place called Bet Sefer. This is all in your book on page 7 and 8, if you want to, to kind of follow along or if you want to mark it up. Bet Sefer is called the house of the book. The house of the book. So what they do for four years is they commit the Torah to memory. Genesis through Deuteronomy, they commit it to memory. That's a good idea, don't you think? I think we would all do well to do that. So let's take... No, I'm just kidding. But it, when you're young, how many of you know it's so much easier? And if you commit it to memory at a younger age, praise God, then it, it stays in there. So what happens is they come in. Psalm 119, 103 is the first verse they're going to learn. And what the, the rabbi is going to do is he's going to put honey on their slates and they're going to lick it off as he reads, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Getting them to understand the reason we memorize Torah is because it's life-giving. The reason that we memorize Torah is because it's because God is good. His words are good. And they put it together with all of the senses. There are some people that are like, you know, I don't, I don't want to experience God. I don't want to like get all sensational and lift my hands. Do you know the Bible actually commands us to lift our hands in prayer? Why? Why do we have to lift up our hands in prayer? It's about engaging all of your senses. God is a God that wants to engage all of us. Every part of us. And so when we say, well, that's just not how I worship. Well, there's a fuller way to experience God. And it's not about me or you. It's about Him. And it's about letting every part of us experience Him. 
That's what the Jew would value. And so they place this high value on the Torah, the instruction of God. They want to pass it on to their kids. And it calls them to love God, to worship God, to love others, and to love His Word. In fact, in the Mishnah, which is like a Jewish commentary on the Torah, it's a huge set of volumes that just talk about the Torah and the instructions and the oral traditions. There's this quote. The world stands on three things. Torah, worship, and loving deeds of kindness. Man, it's almost like when Jesus said, you love God and you love your neighbor. He understood. After they go to Bet Sefer, many of the children will just return home and they will learn a family trade around the age of 10. But some of them will go on to the Bet Talmud and they'll go to the House of Learning where they're going to take a little bit more intense learning process. They're going to study the prophets and the writings and the oral traditions. And they're they're moving beyond just the facts and the stories to understanding the, the truths and to really beginning to learn what we would call critical thinking skills. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 46... It says, after three days, remember Jesus got lost when he was 12 years old, hung out in the temple? After three days, they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. What Jesus is doing at the age of 12 is participating in this idea of learning, where they're, they're, the rabbis are asking questions, but Jesus has turned the tables, and he's actually the one that's wowing them with his understanding, his grasp. Can I tell you, if Jesus has an understanding of the Torah that wows the people of his day, it is not because he's God. The scripture is clear that he laid aside his rights and privileges as God. He did not access them. He did not turn stones into bread. He did not use his God powers to learn things and do things. He did it as a human being enabled by the Spirit of God just like you and I. And if he can learn this book in a way that wows other people, so can you and I. But it's not going to come because we just spend like two minutes a day reading the the 60-second devotion for busy people. If that's where you are right now, praise God, but don't stay there. If your level of time and intensity in the Word has not grown in the last five years, why not? You're not going to experience victory if you're not in this Word. Jesus modeled it for us at 12 years of age. Don't tell me that our 12-year-olds can't learn the Word. They're bored. It's time to teach them this is not a boring book. It's a living book. It's the words of life from God Almighty. And the more you commit it to memory, the more you will understand how He created the world around us. The more you will flourish. The more people around you will flourish. The more the kingdom of God will manifest in your life. And not just say, hey, someday when you're 18, maybe this will happen. But when you're 12, you can lay your hands on your friends and they're going to see, they're going to, they're going to see and experience the power of God. You can get up in your, in the middle of your lunchroom and begin to talk about the scriptures and people are going to say, hey, what do I need to do to repent? It can happen at any age if we get in this book. Moving on from that age group, most of the children would not go beyond that. That would be it. That's pretty good still right there. But some would go to what they call Bet Midrash, which is the house of study. And most children, again, are not going to get to experience this. But what happens is, if you want to study under a rabbi, you would go to the rabbi, you would say, Rabbi, I want to be your Talmudim. I want to be your disciple. That's the word for disciple, Talmudim. I want to be that. And he would give you an entrance exam. It's not going to be who built the ark. It's not going to be who were the first man and woman. It's not going to be how many chapters are there in the book of Genesis. It's not because they didn't have chapters back there. Sorry, that was a joke that, yeah, but it just didn't work. Um, but <laughs> they're not going to, yeah, whoo, don't tell jokes like that. <laughs> in a classroom setting, people would have laughed. <laughs> no, they wouldn't have. Let's just be honest. What he's going to do is he's going to do something called remez. Remez, if you were with Holly and Len Lapka of last year when they were here with us, they taught on this. 
he's going he's gonna to reference a passage from either the Torah or the prophets or the writings, and he's going to be teaching something else, and he's going to pull this passage in, and he's going to stop. And you're going to have to quote the rest of the passage. You're going to have to talk about the context of the passage, and you're going to have to tell how it applies to that situation. You've got to have a grasp of the Word of God. At 12 years old, I want to be, I want to be uh, in you. Now, you're, you don't have to do it perfect, but the rabbi is going to recognize whether you have a, enough understanding of the Torah and the prophets and the writings to be able to be his disciple. And then if you do, he's going to tell you to follow me. Follow me. You're going to do life with me. You're going to go where I go. You're going to watch what I do. I'm going to teach you along the way. I'm going to make illustration. I'm going to show you. I'm going to do real life with you, and I'm going to explain the Torah. I'm going to explain the writings. I'm going to explain the prophets to you. This would be called taking on the yoke of your rabbi. The yoke of a rabbi would be how I interpret the Scripture. So when Jesus says, come to me, my yoke is easy. What he's talking about is the way I interpret Scripture is is easy. And we think, well... Easy in our world is not the same as what he's talking about here. He's talking about all you got to do is lay your life down. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, except it's not so easy, is it, to lay our lives down? And so you have to understand these rabbis would say, Come, come and learn. And every Jewish kid wants this. But the reality is they're not all going to be there. They're not all going to have the capacity to be able to do this. And so only the select few. Many are called. Few are chosen. So you understand, when Jesus comes along and he says to a couple fishermen and a tax collector, you understand when he says, hey, follow me, why they jump at the chance. They've been passed over. They don't get to, be, they don't get to follow a rabbi. And everybody wants to study the book. You want me to follow you? I'm coming. They leave everything and follow. It, it's not that they're never going to go back and fish again. It's just for this season, we're following our rabbi until, until we become our own rabbis that teach other disciples. It's a process. And we're going to go do life with him. We're going to stay with him. Now, I may need to go back for a little while and take care of my family. I may need to step aside for a few days or a few weeks. If you've watched The Chosen, they illustrate this so well. We, t we tend to think that they spent every waking moment with Jesus for three years and they never left his side. They probably went back home to take care of some business, but they came back. They did life with Jesus for three years. That's called walking in the dust of the rabbi. So that in Luke chapter 9, verse 40, when Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. This is the call that Jesus is saying for the church, for the body of Christ today. Come follow me. This is the same thing. So what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? What does it look like for us to do life with Jesus? I mean, I love that we have worship services where we come once a week and we interact with people and we interact with the Scripture. But it has to move beyond this. This is not discipleship. I mean, this is an aspect of discipleship, but it's much more than this. We've got to find a way to begin to do life with each other. Jesus taught this. He said that he's going to build his ecclesia. He's going to build his church. And what's going to happen in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus is telling this story is they're going to come together and they're going to bind and loose. What do you mean they're going to bind and loose? They're going to discuss the Torah and how to live it out. They're going to come together and say, hey, the Torah says we shouldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. So my question is, as modern day Jews, should we drive our cars on the Sabbath? Because technically, when you, when you, when you turn the ignition, uh, the car combusts and there's a, a, a spark. There's a little bit of an ignition. There, is that a fire? What do you think? And then someone else will say, well, but the Torah also says this. And so, uh, back and forth, we're gonna, well, it says this and it says this. And what do you think? And I, I don't know. And they're, they're trying to come to a knowledge of truth and they're binding and they're loosing. And at the end of the day, they say, so, do we drive our cars on the Sabbath? And whatever that community decides, because it's understood the Torah, and it's, it's put it into law in the community, it says, yes, we're going to drive cars on the Sabbath. Or no, we're not going to drive cars on the Sabbath. And when two or three agree on that, it's done. I'm with you. 
And God says, if you decide to drive your cars on the Sabbath, I'm with you. If you decide not to drive your car on the Sabbath, I'm with you as a community. Because there's safety in community when you interpret the Scripture together. And you're like, well, what if they get it wrong? Ha-ha. Then he's going to send a prophet to tell you, hey, the Torah says this, and you're violating it. You see how God works? This is, all, this is what we're supposed to be doing in the body of Christ. Not just sitting here for 30 minutes and letting me dispense information to you. I mean, this is what we're called to. This idea of discipleship, taking someone in the body of Christ. Look around the room today. Who could be my disciple? Who could I do life with? Who could I interact with? Who could I grow with? Who could I help mentor? Who could help mentor me? Paul, in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, talks about his mentorship under Gamil. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicily, and I was brought up in this city, educated at the feet, at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. That term, sitting at the feet of a rabbi, is very important. Because if you notice, when Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus... Jesus is doing something in his day that we don't even get. Mary is literally a disciple of Jesus sitting at his feet. And there were, there were not places in Jewish culture for girls to follow a rabbi. Let's just be honest. Okay? I mean, there are Jewish prayers that say, uh, thank God I'm not a woman. Yep. They didn't get it all right. And Jesus came to show them, no, here's where you're right and here's where you're wrong. And he modeled for them that women have a place at the feet of Jesus. I think women have a place instructing in the body of Christ. I think we misinterpret a few passages of Scripture and try to keep women from doing what God has called them to do. Now, people are free to disagree with me, but as a church, that's what we value and that's what we honor. And so... Paul tells us that. Paul brings young Timothy along, and he would be his disciple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Here's my frustration. Why is this chapter 11, verse 1? Most commentaries you read and most scholars you talk to will say, this absolutely goes at the end of chapter 10. In chapter 10, Paul's talking to them about what to do with meat sacrificed to idols. Here's a whole new thing that's happened in the body of Christ here. There's meat that have been sacrificed to idol that's in the meat market. Should we buy it? Is it tainted? Should, what if I go to a friend's house and they serve it to me? Should I eat it? If, like, what do I do? And Paul leads them through a process in chapter 10 of binding and loosing. And he's, he's, hey, and sometimes he's like, this is what God says. And sometimes he's like, I don't know what God says, but this is my idea. It's like, what? I don't know what God says, but this is my idea? He's clarifying. Sometimes it's an actual truth that God has passed down. And sometimes it's like, this is, a, this is what I know. And so this is what I pass on to people. And at the end of it, after he's taught them to bind and loose about meat sacrificed idols, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's discipleship. This is what we do back and forth. When you have a tough decision to make, it's not a question of just, woo. let's just take care of that little guy right there. Sorry if you're offended by that, but uh, I didn't want to be stung. So <laughs> it's just the way it happened. Um, so <laughs> so when, we, when we have a tough decision to make, what are we going to do? Gather around us people that we know what they're going to say? That they are going to tell us what our itching ears want to hear? I want, here's what I want to do, but I just need someone to confirm that this is what God wants me to do. You know what I would rather have? People that push back and say, well, what about this passage? And how does this apply to that? Not in an arrogant way, not in a demanding way, but in a way that makes me see it from every angle. To make sure that what I'm doing is actually being true to God's Word and not just true to what I want to do. Because in our world today, we, there's a lot of people that are just doing what they want to do and they've got Scripture verses to prove it. But I will tell you, they're not doing what God's Word says to do. And the way to do that is in community in the body of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, here's, here's the thing. I've Just a few more minutes. You guys are great. I know I'm teaching you so much and you're just like, Pastor Dob, too much information. Just tell me what to do. 
Study the book more today than you did yesterday. Read a book. Listen to a podcast. Get a study Bible. Get a Jewish study Bible. Have a conversation. Go further than you've been before. Just keep growing. But here's the thing. God's will is, for, is not for us to have all the answers. It is not for us to have all the answers. God's will is for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Studying this book is how we get conformed. But you can study this book and all you can get is answers. And you can use those answers to cut people up and you can use those answers to put people in their place. But you, would, you can do all of that and not be being conformed to the image of the Son. You want to make sure that you're not just getting information, but you're transforming. So if you're, if you're outpacing yourself, like if you're learning more than you're actually applying, slow down. Because it's dangerous to hear the word and not do what it says. So you want to make sure that your pace is good. I want to learn, I want to grow, but I want to make sure I'm applying it. And you know how the best way to learn how you're applying it? Community. You know who the best person to tell you how well you're applying the scripture is? Your spouse. They see you. Your kids. Your parents. The people closest to you. Because they see everything. They're, the, they're close. To, and that's why the body of Christ is called brothers and sisters. We're supposed to do life with each other so that we see those things. Not so that we can condemn each other, but so we can challenge each other. Hey, that's not who you are. You're a child of God. That's out of character for you. You shouldn't do that. Like, here's what the law says, remember? Oh, yeah. You're right. Or, well, what about this? Like, isn't it okay? And you go back and forth. I mean, this is the body of Christ. And someday, oh, someday we're going to get there. I believe it. So it requires that we study the Word. Psalm 119, verse 11. By the way, read all of Psalm 119 sometime. Uh, man, just so much good stuff. These are familiar to you. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your Word in my heart then I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp for my feet and it's a light for my path. It's a light for my path. Mark Batterson, in his book, Draw the Circle, has a quote and it says this, The Bible wasn't meant to be read. It was meant to be memorized and meditated upon. It was meant to be prayed and practiced. We have to abide in the word of God and let the word of God abide in us. We have to let the word of God abide in us. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word. That word abide, Mark in the Draw the Circle book that we read in day 30 actually talks about this word abide and the different meanings of that word abide. You have to understand that the Hebrew language especially, but the Greek language also, um, these words have multiple meanings. And so he talks about how these words are like a kaleidoscope that can, can bring out so much different meaning. I put five of the examples on the screen uh, for this word abide. He draws out many of the different ones, but... Um, Abide means to stay overnight. If you want to abide in the Word, stay overnight in the Word. Just spend time in it. Just linger. Like literally, When's the last time you just sat and just a passage of Scripture and you just keep kept, kept reading it? I read it again and read it again. No, nowhere to go, no agenda. Even just carved out 15 minutes to say, you know what, I'm just going to read this one chapter and I'm going to pray it and I'm going to read it and I'm going to pray it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to think about it. And for 15 minutes, I'm just going to... I guarantee you, every one of us in a week could find 15 minutes to do that. That's what you're called. I, I've stored it up in my heart. And then as you walk away from that 15 minutes, you meditate on it. 
man, what did that say? How do I live that out today? What's that mean for me? You have a conversation with someone at lunch that says, hey, what, how's your day going? Man, I'm just contemplating this thing I read this morning, and you're just sharing the word with them. Well, what if they're not a believer? Who cares? Share the word with them. Because here's the thing. God might give you insight to his word from an unbeliever. Oh, what? God can give insight? Yeah, King Cyrus sent the people back and said, and he's not even a Jew. He's not even a believer. God can do anything. Meditate on his word. There's no shortcut. It means to hold fast to it, to cling to it, to stand still. Is literally all these things are in this word abide. Sometimes we're tempted to act and we're actually called to wait. It's, but then there's also a time to be moved. Oh, how do I know when I should stand still and when I should be moved? Yeah, it's a journey, isn't it? What's that, what's that next step I should take? And then it also means to tarry, to tarry. Mark Batterson, one more quote, and then I'll finish. He says, perhaps the spiritual disciplines of studying scripture and engaging in prayer are not two separate disciplines. One is key to the other. See, today we're starting to talk about discipleship. And Jesus is saying, follow me, follow me. If you're in the room and you've never made a commitment to follow Jesus, you can do that today. The Bible says you have to put your trust in Jesus. Here's what that means. It uses the word faith. You got to have faith in Jesus. Can I tell you, the Bible doesn't say you just have to have faith. It says you have to have faith in Jesus. Here's, here's the thing. God's word is infallible. My interpretation of his word is not. I don't have faith in my interpretation of God's word. I have faith in God's word. And so when my interpretation doesn't really work out right or doesn't seem to fit I trust the God of the word more than the word this book actually can become an idol for us when we begin to trust our interpretations of it more than the God of the word and so today if you've never committed your life to Christ the Bible says every single one of us have rejected God and gone our own way We've sinned. We've broken his law. We've broken what it means to be human. But Jesus came to this earth to show us what it's like to be human and to die as a sacrifice in our place. And when we put confidence in that and we begin to walk with him, we follow him, that's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Some of you have done that. Maybe you've done a form of that. But if you're in the room today and you say, man, I want to do that. I want to be a follower of Jesus. As we close in prayer today, you can do that. You can commit yourself to follow him. You can acknowledge you've broken his laws. You can ask for his blood to cover your sin. You can put your confidence in him and you can begin to follow him. If you're looking for a church, a community of people to belong to, we'd love to have you as a part of Restoration Church. We're trying to walk this out together. But for those of you that are in the room, as I close in prayer today, one of the things I specifically have asked the Holy Spirit is to tell you what the next step is. What do I need to do with what I've learned today? How do I begin to live this out more this week than I did last week? For some, it might be more study. For some, it might be obedience. Maybe as soon as we talked about living it out, the Holy Spirit brought back to your mind something that he's already asked you to do, a step he's already asked you to take. And you're like, oh, I've put it back there and I'm just waiting on God to tell me something else. Well, here's the thing. Nothing else is coming until you do what he's asked you to do here. Because God is not going to conform to your will. He's going to wait for you to conform to his. And so be obedient to whatever that step is, even if it doesn't look like it makes sense. So as we pray, you do that right where you are. Holy Spirit, come into my life. I acknowledge that I've broken God's law, that I've sinned. And yet I want to be a follower of Jesus. I recognize he died in my place. His blood covers my sin. And I ask that to happen today. 
I want to commit to follow him. To let his yoke lead my life. For those of us in this room, Lord, that just want to become better students, better disciples, show us that next step. For some, it might be the humility to stop using your word as a weapon on others and let it be used as a scalpel on our own hearts. God, to deal with the log that's in our own eye so that we're better equipped to handle the speck that's in someone else's eye. God, for some of us, it might mean more time carved out. For all of us, there's probably a level of obedience that needs to be fleshed out. And so, Holy Spirit, show us how to be better disciples. Help us as a corporate body to see the areas that need to change. God, to not let the the frustrations that things aren't maybe as they should be overwhelm us, but to look for what one step that we can take as an individual part of this body that might lead others to change in this body. Show us how to go first. Show us how to disciple, mentor. Show us how to seek out mentorship. God, show us how to be the body of Christ, to live out our calling as humans on this earth the same way that Jesus did. So Holy Spirit, we commit ourselves to you right now. We want to be disciples, followers of Jesus. Over these next few weeks, just continue to show us how to flesh that out in our daily lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I'll be available after the service. If you want prayer, if there's questions you have, things you want to talk about, love the opportunity to visit with you. Um, If you haven't got one of these books, I encourage you to pick it up. Over the next several weeks, we're going to continue to talk about this idea of discipleship and what that looks like and how we flesh that out. And uh, if things come to you during the week and you say, hey, I've got some ideas. I'd love to share them with you. Let's have coffee. Uh, I hear there's a new coffee place in town called Scooter's. I don't know. They've got some good coffee. Uh, went there this morning and the lady said, hey, you're on your way to church. I'm like, yep. And I said, uh, I knew on Sunday morning at 6 a.m. there would be no line. And I was correct. There was no line. So had a great conversation with her and uh, they have great coffee. So I'd encourage you, uh, let's have coffee this week. If you don't drink coffee, there's lots of things that we can have together as we talk about how this fleshes out in our body as well. So don't forget to stop by the table in the back before you leave today. And please don't forget to pick up your children if they're in the nursery or kid bin. Thanks for being here today. God bless you.